This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Episode 127 of Military Veteran Dad. I'm your host, Ben Cloy, and this is the other side of Father's Day. I hope you had some amazing memories, some amazing connection, maybe some new power tools from Lowe's. Those always help. But today we've got a special guest with us today. We've got David Trenholm. He enlisted in the Navy in 1995. He attended flight school in Pensacola from 2003 to 2004. He served 20 years in the Navy and is married to Danielle of Monticello, Florida since 2002. And together, they have two children, Sean of 19, Katie, and 15, and both live in Jacksonville, Florida as well. David earned a double bachelor's of science in finance and real estate from Florida State University and a master's of science in operational management from the University of Arkansas. He volunteers his time with multiple veteran service organizations to help transitioning service members, military spouses, and veterans find careers through Vets to Industry, Operations New Uniform, Vets on Tap, Four Block, and Veterati. In 2020, he volunteered over 250 hours and successfully coached and mentored over 50 find new careers. This episode is rich with essentially what success looks like when you apply the principles of a successful transition, when you do bring people into your life that can help guide the way. So many veterans just get stuck on thinking that we can figure it out. I was one of them. I applied what I learned, but it wasn't enough, and I didn't ask for help early on. David is just a great example of where he's ended up in his career and where you could end up listening to some of David's advice and applying some of those basic fundamentals of finding other people out there ahead of you, learning what they know, and applying it in your life. So without further ado, let's get started with David Trenholm. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. I loved your story because you have a rich story of success and actually utilizing all the tools in a transition within the military to try to rebuild your life in a great way on the other side. So go ahead. Before we go into that, tell us a bit about your military service and a little bit about your family life right now. So military service, uh, I enlisted at 17 years old out of high school. Uh, I was a uh, what's called a yeoman, uh, which is kind of an admin type. Uh, and the Navy spent little over four years on active duty, um, got picked up for an officer program. So the Navy decided I I was good enough uh, to send to college. So I went to Florida A&M and Florida State, uh, got my bachelor's degree, and then they decided, hey, let's make him a naval flight officer. So I got picked for flight school. Uh, After two years of that, uh, became a naval flight officer in the P3 Orion 
Um, met my wife while I was in college. Uh, had a had a had my first son while I was a junior in college. Um, you know, um, you know, and after a couple of years later, when I got out of flight school, my daughter was born. Um, so as a junior officer, uh, just hitting the fleet, I had two young kids. Um, you know, in 20 years active duty, 25 years, including college, uh, being associated with the Navy, I then retired. Um, and I heard so many stories of people that got out, um, that hated life or their transitions were hard that I made it a mission that I, I knew four years before retiring that I was getting out. I had made the decision, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, and therefore it was easy for me to figure out like, okay, what's next. So at that point I started talking to every single one of my friends who retired, uh, got out and I, I looked for their mentorship and say, Hey, what did you do? How did you do it? Who should I talk to? You know, and every single one of them connected me with, with one person. So the first one was USO Pathfinders, which I would recommend anybody transitioning to start with USO Pathfinders because they are like the hubs of information at any one location. Uh, once I talked to them, they said, hey, here's these 10, 15 different people and organizations you need to connect with. Um, from onward to opportunity, to vets to industry, to operational uniform, all these transition assistance programs that are taught outside of the military. Because I think the, the military TAP courses, TGPSs, um, give you the bare basics as a starting point, but to truly be successful, one needs to utilize all the available free resources that are provided um, through all these different organizations. Um, and then learning through those organizations, I attended a couple uh, master LinkedIn sessions with Michael Quinn. Um, and he is the one I credit with, with uh, you know, number one, teaching me about LinkedIn and the importance of it and how to effectively utilize it and not just creating a profile and just waiting for people to come, but actually connecting and networking. And he came to an event in Jacksonville and they were having a networking event with a great organization in Jacksonville, Florida called Vets on Tap, which is a uh, veteran networking um, local event in Jacksonville, Florida where they connect veterans with employers and VSOs. And I did the typical, you know, I've got family stuff. I've got this going on. And he kind of kicked me in the butt and said, Hey man, there's, there's going to be like a hundred people at this event. There's going to be 50 companies. You know, if, if you don't get out there networking, you're going to struggle. And I listened to his advice begrudgingly showed up and it was amazing. I met so many amazing people. But I, uh, at that moment, I learned the value of, of your network is your, is your net worth. Um, I then translated that to, I had a friend who worked at Bank of America who went through an internship program. Uh, it was a two-year internship program. He'd been there for now five years. So he had been done with it. Uh, great guy, smart guy. I called up my friend, John Backus, and was like, hey, man, tell me about this program. Tell me about the bank. Everything he told me lined up exactly with everything I wanted between location, job, pay, and even the culture fit. So for me, it was it was a match made in heaven. Um, he connected me with a recruiter. After that, it was all my interview skills that, you know, 
from, from my first interviews prior to doing all the transition assistance programs to now completing three, four different TAP courses uh, was a major difference in confidence and everything going into the interview that I landed, landed the interviews um, and then landed, landed the offer. You know, that being said, that was, it wasn't a one and done thing. I was applying to multiple jobs, networking with multiple others, uh, getting rejections, going to interviews, um, actually turned down a couple offers because they were just, you know, too low, um, you know, and, and, and all that. And that's, that's what helped me with my transition, um, you know, from, from going from the Navy with a, with a family of four now to, you know, I've got one, one, my daughter, uh, Katie is a dual enrolled high school student. So as a sophomore, she's also taking college classes and is getting straight A's who my son just finished his associates, uh, and is now moving on to get his bachelor's. And then even on top of that, my wife, who as a typical military spouse finished her bachelor's as I retired, and now she's working on her master's degree in technical writing. Um, you know, all because she had to put her career and life on hold for my family and, and, and the Navy, you know, so things for me and my family are doing well. And that's because I, I properly plan for the transition. So let's go back to an earlier point. There's a couple points I want to go back to, but I, this earlier one, when you went into the military, what were you looking for? So I originally joined the Navy uh, because I wanted to go to college. I came from a lower middle class family that, you know, if they missed one day of work, it was a house of cards. We could have lost our house, the cars, everything. Um, blue, blue collar. My mom worked at a factory. She just retired after 30 years at a, at a uh, manufacturing plant. Uh, my dad worked in various jobs, lumber yards and stuff like that. So they didn't have the money to, uh, you know, to send me to college. Um, my Dad never finished high school. He got his GED. My mom did a little bit of college, but I had had big dreams and aspirations. And I knew the only way I was going to do that was, you know, by joining the military, you know, and getting them to pay for college. You know, fast forward 20 years. Uh, not only did I get my bachelor's degree, I got a master's degree, uh, you know, and all completely debt free. I'm leaving the military with with degrees and not a dime in, in student loans. So let's go to a moment when you first had your son and you were still in college and you were becoming a junior officer. What was something that you needed to know back then that you could tell yourself now that maybe another junior officer out there or someone in that similar spot needs to hear? The biggest thing I would say is, is balance, um, family work-life balance. Um, because between college and my junior officer years, the first couple, I kind of put at times work in front of my family. Um, you know, and so if, if there was an event going on, I was at it. If work needed me to stay later, I was at it. Um, and so at times I put a strain on my wife and my, and, and my children. And, and little did I realize, you know, the, the time I could have been spending with them would, would have made up for some of the times I was deployed. Um, you know, so I was, I deployed 10 times over my career. Um, between that and being geobacks, I missed nine years of my family and my children's upbringing. And that's, that's unfortunately as time I, I will never get back. And I'm, I'm trying to make up for that now 
in my retired life. What does that look like trying to make up for that time? Let's go there for a minute. Um, what it looked like is I, I kind of, I kind of realized that, you know, number one, everybody in the military, I don't care who you are. The military is only 20 to 30 years max. Some people it's only four. The military is not your life, your family. You know, once you're out of the military, for the most part, the military doesn't care about you anymore, but guess who is still around your family, your wife, your kids, um, your relatives, you know, so neglecting them is, is detrimental to, you know, all future possibilities. Um, you know, I, I'm not as close to my son as I would like to be. Um, I'm working on that constantly. I'm trying to do as much with him, find out what he likes, he enjoys. Cause you know, just like I was different than my dad, my dad was a blue collar guy. I was kind of more of a white collar. Well, my son is more of the the gamer type or the social media type, which is is different for me. So I'm I'm learning to understand what he likes and meet him in the middle. Um, you know, luckily my daughter was was very young when all this happened. Uh, before I realized, and and I've made it a, a purpose that you know I'm I'm the soccer dad for my daughter. You know, it gives because my wife's in school you know, and her work and everything, it gives me a chance to, like I said, I'll, I'll take, I'll take my daughter, Katie to soccer. And and it's even a priority because at the same time I was playing soft uh, softball in a church softball league. I had to miss several games because my daughter's practices were the same time as, as some of the games. And I, I, I told them when I started, I was like, look, I want to play, but my daughter comes first. I made those mistakes in the past where I would, I would skip a practice, skip a game to do something for myself. And I, I learned that wasn't the right path. So she's number one. I also have a routine with my daughter that we do, uh, you know, coffee Fridays. So we'll go to Starbucks or one of the local um, local coffee shops. And, you know, really, whatever she wants, she's going to get. I, I, I don't care. Sometimes it's it's a cheap, you know, four or $5 drink. Sometimes I let her splurge. and like, all right, get that $9 Frappuccino with 15 pumps of three different ingredients, you know? So, and, and then we just sit there and we talk for an hour. We talk about life. We talk about experiences and we go from there. I love that. And you've also had the intuition to realize that, and I want to make sure the dad's listening and understand that this time is in the military, especially is like a credit card. You borrow from it, you have to pay interest on it. And there are far more people that leave the military at 20 and a few months or years later get divorced because the card goes bankrupt. And there's no way that you can climb out of the debt that you've accumulated on that card. And it is one of the most slippery slopes in the military because it's caked on in a couple different reasons. One, very few people have the courage to call another dad out for serving his country too much. Because it's just not something that you even want to think about crossing a line on because you don't fully maybe know the whole story. And so when someone's like doing what they need to do or even in a marriage, like you could easily say like, my unit needed me tonight. My unit needed me tonight. I mean, and you could tell yourself that and no one's going to call you out on it. But at the same time, you're writing checks at some point, you're going to have to go back and pay back. And it, it's, it is, it's such a slippery slope for how to transition through that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm only blessed because my wife, Danielle is amazing. Um, she has forgiven me on many occasions for missing out, 
on family events um, that, you know, we, you know, we, we went through some counsel, family counseling. We, we, we aired out our grievances. We figured out what the, what the shortcomings were. And we decided, like I said, you know, as a family, we're moving forward. Family's going to be first before anything. Um, you know, so our family, it, it, it now goes God, family, uh, work, then, you know, personal events. Um, so like for me, I, I volunteer a lot, but I try to do it either before work or on the drive home from work where I talk to and mentor transitioning veterans and military spouses. Um, because when I was first doing it, I was doing it right after work, but then I realized I was doing it during dinner time. And in, and in my house, dinner time is sacred. That is the one thing I've told my wife and kids ever since day one that, that when I'm, you know, you know, when we're home as a family, I want us to sit down, turn off the TV and eat as a family. And when I'm sitting there helping other people about, you know, about their transition and not, you know, helping my own family and their transitions from high school to college or my wife, you know, my wife now, after being a homeschool mom for the last, I don't know, 15 years and being self-employed, you know, she is so excited of finishing up her master's degree and actually starting a corporate life, you know, at, at you know, in her mid mid forties. Um, she's actually looking forward to that. You know, she's tired of being self-employed and, and uh, you know, not having benefits and, you know, for her taking time off uh, means losing money. You know, she doesn't have any vacation time like I've had. So it's, it's been hard at times to take a family vacation because, you know, she would weigh, hey, we're going to go on this vacation. It's going to cost us $3,000, but I'm also going to lose $1,000 of employment, you know. So those have been some juggling acts we've, we've gone through. Let's go to a particular angle where there are so many people within the 20-year process that you, they go through to get to that retirement. But they can't hear what other people are telling them. And I feel like I heard in your story that you had hesitation from hearing what other people were telling you. What was the story that you were telling yourself that was kind of preventing you from fully feeling and maybe embracing initially that advice that people were telling you? So the thing I told myself all the time is I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing time now to get promoted, to make money so that my wife and kids have all the luxuries in the world. So I'm going to make all this, I'm going to spend all this time and make all this money so I can buy things. When in reality, our kids don't want things. They want my time, you know, and, and, you know, I, I messed up with that for, for several years, but luckily, you know, not, not, you know, about five, six, seven years ago, I realized, you know what, my time with my children is, is fleeting. Um, you know, they're, my son's already 19, about to be 20. You know, he's working on college. He's only going to be in my house probably a couple more years. My daughter is 15, about to turn 16. She's in that very crucial stage where she needs a good role model to show her like, Hey, this is how a boyfriend's supposed to treat you. Um, you know, I make sure that I hold the door for my daughter um, that I, you know, that I, and my wife, I, I show her, you know, open the car door, close the car door, you know, all the things a true gentleman should be doing. 
And, and she's dated a couple guys, like not a single one ever opened the door for her. And I was like, Hey, that's a red flag. You know, if, if he's not going to treat you with respect, then maybe he doesn't need to be around you. So I'm trying to be that example for my daughter and how a guy should treat a girl. And at the same time, show my son, if you want to win a girl over, you know, go above and beyond, you know, show him that you really care by just doing the small things. I love that. And it's advice that I preach about often. So any of my fellow listeners that live, listen to every episode, they'll know what you just said is exactly what I always preach or why fatherhood's so important to daughters, because they will always come to the conclusion that this guy is not my dad. And you don't have to have a shotgun at the door, because if you did your job right, they'll always have that voice in the back of your head like, yeah, this guy's not my dad. It may, may have to take a few hard lessons to like fully get it to sink in, but they'll always come to that conclusion quicker. And the stronger example you are, the faster I believe that that example comes true. And that dad with a shotgun at the door is a dad that he knows that he set the bar so low that he's afraid that she's going to go out and bring home him. Like he may be too hard, too afraid to admit it, but that's the real truth. And especially if he's a military dad that was deployed and did an extended version of what you did and never actually came home and made those intentions, he realizes that there's a gap. There's not even an example. It's almost like this free bouncing idea of whatever she goes out and does is going to be what she brings back. And that isn't what you want, but you don't realize it until it's too late and it's already started and it's a, it's a cycle that just continues. And what you just talked about, I wanted to make sure that every dad hears of why it's so important when you're raising daughters, that your example to what you said to her is the one that she's going to go out into the world and bring back. Yeah. And I tell her she needs to have standards. You know, if, if you know, I, I can't stand cause I've seen the bad examples of, you know, if, if the guy doesn't have a job, doesn't have a car and doesn't have a place to live, you know, those are huge red flags for me, for, for any girl dating a guy like that. Um, you know, because number one, that means they're dependent, they're mama's boys, you know, they, they don't, they can't take care of themselves and they're, they're just users and abusers in my opinion. Whereas, you know, like my wife and I, we try to set the example of, you know, we're not even a 50, 50 family. We're a hundred, a hundred, you know, um, we might have our things like we do more than others, but we both cook. We both clean. We both mow the yard. Um, you know, now that being said, does one of us do more of, of one or the other? Yeah. Um, but I know at no point at any point that my wife and I have each other's back and we're a hundred percent into our marriage and everything. And I want my daughter to understand the same thing that, you know, you and my son, that a, a true marriage is a partnership. It's not a 50, 50. It's not, you know, I go to work and the wife clean cook and take care of the kids. I, I never could stand that. You know, it's, it, it, we should both be taking care of the kids. We should both be taking care of, um, you know, every, every duty. Cause when I grew up with my father, my father, he thought of, you know, taking care of the kids was babysitting. He's like, why do I have to babysit the kids? I'm like, you're not my babysitter. You're my dad. There's a lot you of know? t-shirts going around that say dads not aren't babysitters. <laughs> No, absolutely. And they're not. And, and, you know, I never wanted to be like that. So I, I try to set a, a good example. I'm not perfect. Um, 
but I'm, I'm doing my best. Something that I've been using when teaching my coaching clients that just kind of came to me after reading a few books is adding this word grow. That to, and, you, and it applies to any relationship, not just one that you're looking to date. But look for an example where they grew through a challenge. Because the ability for them to grow through any challenge is a direct indicator of what they will happen in future challenges. Because I think a lot of American society, we get caught up in this marriage and it's, it's, there's this honeymoon phase that happens. It's all, you spend all this money to create this perfect day and then a challenge happens, but you actually never really maybe slowed down to really understand what that was like or what the idea of growing through that was or how someone's going to respond to that. And it's kind of a reality check. And so adding that word grow and also this new conversation question that I've been bringing into just regular networking conversations is what are two to three events that have really defined you? Now, as a teenager, I would be almost interested to see what they would say of two to three events that has defined them up to who they are. But understanding like what really has allowed to shape them and where they are and how they got to where they are, because it also speaks to what they value. It speaks to their character and that word growth, because if you can find someone that's got a growth mindset, which is really what we're talking about here, that growth mindset is adaptability. And often Americans, we get stuck in this rut and we drift through this rut for years, if not decades, but we need to be able to grow and change and move into new ruts and develop new ruts and find new challenges. And it's that word that we often don't do a good enough job getting and kind of curious about in those early stages of a relationship. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my, my wife and kids both, you know, with being military and then just, you know, some of the things they've done, gone through with their schooling um, they've, they've seen adversity and they've seen us grow and, and, you know, we try to show them because both my wife and I, uh, which is kind of hilarious. We're very similar in a lot of ways. We both were first born. We both moved out of our homes at 17. We both self-supported ourselves. Um, you know, very, and, and the only reason I truly believe that, you know, she, we were able to get married is and, and stay married even to this day, you know, we're going on close to 20 years of marriage is because my wife was so independent, you know, and being a military spouse, um, she had to be independent because she had to play mom and dad while I was gone. You know, she had to pick up the slack because just like Murphy, Murphy always strikes, right. As, as I, you know, a week after I'm on deployment, the, the, the washer and dryer break, you know, the lawnmower breaks, you know, something that, you know, we had a, uh, kids are out playing basketball and they hit, they hit the ball on one of the, the water spouts and all of a sudden flushing water is, is flooding the house, the side of the house. And, you know, I'm gone and my wife just took care of it. Um, and she's amazing. Yeah. I want to go into something that I think you mentioned and I want to just find out and confirm and then go into it further. You said that you were, you've homeschooled your kids throughout their time. Yes. So, um, we put my son into public school for kindergarten first and he, he did well, but come second grade, uh, he was struggling. And what it really turned out is he had a horrible teacher in second grade. Um, and my wife really didn't like what was being taught in the school systems. Uh, and so she decided with me with, without my support the first year, um, because I, you know, my wife, did public school, but she was also homeschooled. And I saw some of the bad examples of homeschooling where, you know, you think of people that aren't socially adjusted or, 
you know, aren't too smart. Um, cause I saw some of her family, you know, never graduate high school, get their GED, never get go to college. And, you know, they struggled, but I gave my wife like a one-year probation. My son flourished, um, so much that she, she, uh, did the same thing with my daughter. I think my daughter, we put her through kindergarten, VPK kindergarten, and then come first grade homeschooled. So my wife's been homeschooling both my kids. Uh, and I can't complain. Um, because both my kids were dual enrolled in college. Uh, both of them for the, you know, my daughter right now has completed six courses in college, straight A's. She started at college in 14. Um, she's now 15 and she's going into almost her sophomore year of college as a junior in high school. My son dual enrolled and completed 42 credits while he was in, in high school. Uh, my daughter will get her associates when she finishes high school. Um, and all of this is due to my wife's teaching, um, homeschooling groups, co-ops, uh, you know, and, and my wife was never one of those people that like here hand, handed, um, a workbook and say, complete it. No, she actually taught them, uh, so much that my wife went and got a certification in, in what's called IEW, um, Institute for Excellence in Writing. And she taught them grammar. My kids know more about grammar than most English teachers. Um, Sounds like someone I needed to hang around because my grammar is horrible. And I pay Grammarly a yearly subscription to make sure that my grammar at least has some edge of commonality or at least coherentness. Uh, it was not something I came out of the public school system with a strong understanding of. No. Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, like they did the whole sentence structure, breaking down nouns, adverbs, pronouns, all that sort of stuff. I don't understand any of it. My kids make fun of me because my grammar is atrocious. Um, so I live in a house with like three grammar Nazis, as you want to call them. Um, and they pick apart every single one of my posts, every single one of my emails or texts. And they're like, you forgot a comma here. You can't do that there. Um, so they're extremely smart, um, extremely outgoing. Um, and, and they've, and they've bucked every, every myth about homeschool kids. Um, I think that's the one thing that we mess up because I have some, several friends who homeschool as well. And it's one where we almost project our own insecurity of life or own insecurity of certainty onto our kids, but kids thrive. I mean, even through Corona and doing what they've done, like they've been 10 times more resilient probably than any adult would give them credit for in the beginning. And even myself, when we were trying to decide virtual or in person, like it was a hell of a decision to try to make through. Cause like, I'm nervous for them, but they're not nervous. Cause they don't really understand. They're going to figure it out. Whatever they get to have to go through, it's just going to be new, the new normal. And they all, they they thrived this past year. And it was astonishing to watch them go through things that my own insecurity was just projecting onto. But then there's also when you like the one benefit that I really love about homeschooling or the idea of it is you really give them the path that allows them to understand their unique gifts. Cause very little in the public school system allows you to learn what you like to learn. And it, oftentimes it's, you got to keep following the curriculum and that's that curriculum that'll always kind of just teach you to be general, but it doesn't really teach you what you're good at. 
and it doesn't reward you to continue learning what you're really good at. It just says, oh, we're done with that. You've got to move on to learn about this thing you don't like. And so then we have this disenfranchised view of learning, and we can't wait for it to be over when we get out of school, and we forget that we need to keep reading books, and we need to keep learning. And it's because we were just told that like this learning is a process checkbox, but learning is life, and homeschooling is life. And I've even liked, I'm not sure if you're, probably if your wife was an entrepreneur, she probably woven into teaching your kids where money comes from, that it's not something you have to get issued on a W-2. It's something that you can actually create out of nothing. And the one family that I know homeschools really well with this idea is the one son, I think he's like 10 years old, he has a balloon animal business, and his 15-year-old has a, a kind of a pet insect business where he loves tarantulas, and he can talk about tarantulas all day long. And now they have a birthday party package where he goes to the birthdays and makes balloon animals, and he goes there with his pet tarantula, and they make money doing it. And they would go down in Florida in different boardwalks, and they would people would give him tips for touching their tarantula and making balloons. Like the idea when you can teach a kid that money isn't something you have to go out there and trade your time for, which creates the initial catechism of the time transaction, the military, the problem. Like to me, that seed, like that seed will blossom into a thousand different angles. And we don't actually know. And it's our own, our own BS that gets in the way from us seeing that true potential of what would happen if we truly let our kids be in charge of their own life. Oh, absolutely. Because my wife has been self-employed um, forever. My wife, you know, with prior to having an education was averaging 45 to $50 an hour self-employed. Um, you know, then my, you know, because of the type of business my wife was in, she networked with a bunch of people that they needed people to watch their dogs while they're on vacation. Well, guess what? You know, my wife would take my kids with her at times and they would meet my kids and like, Hey, you watch my, my dog. Next thing you know, my, my kids are making anywhere from 25 to $50 a day to watch a dog to either come to our house or go to their house, walk them, feed them, you know, take care of them. And, you know, it always happened in spurts. And next thing you know, like three dogs, three different families, $50. Yeah. My, my kids are making $600 in a week or more just watching dogs and all cash. Like when you um, realize you know. the impact of that narrative and how many kids get money wrong and think it does come from plastic and understand that it doesn't, it's something you can create value out of nothing. I've actually really, what I love about entrepreneurship is it proves science wrong in a way because in matter or within like physics, they say all matter already exists. You can't create more matter. All the matter we already have in the universe is already here, except in entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is literally taking a thought, converting it into something real and making something grow from it that was previously nothing. Every time I write a Facebook post that is literally creating essentially matter in my, in my mind, creating matter from nothing. And it's this idea that it's that ability that creates the real juices of what you can do in your life. And not enough kids wholeheartedly understand that true power. And it's something my kids are still young, but it's definitely something I've actually, my youngest, my oldest daughter knows how to make balloon animals because I've been friends with that other dad. And she's excited to do balloon animals at our upcoming daughter's birthday party. And She's like, she understands it. And we've just been kind of, she's been working on it. And we just kind of teach her random things like that, that she likes doing. And she watched the YouTube. She did the work. I still don't know how to do it. It's not like I learned with her. And like that has helped her figure things out. And to me, like that is what fatherhood is about. Isn't necessarily like making sure you provide all these things. It's do you create a space for them to figure out where they're meant to go? 
And that is through the adventures you do, the activities, the conversation, those hour-long conversations at Starbucks where you share a story from your life and she sees a window into it in her life that like, I think I could be a solution to that problem that dad had way back when. Like that is to me what the like the the playground of fatherhood is, is helping our kids. Be, and what you already know, as you kind of see, military kids have the potential that no other kid has. They have diversity. They have inclusion. They have getting together. They have the idea of change. Like they are the most essentially the like the, almost like the most ready kid to go into adulthood if they truly understand where their gifts are meant to go because of the life they've had to go through. Not because it's holding them back, but because it's going to make them that much stronger when they become adults. Yeah, and and one of the things we've the greatest thing about being a homeschooler is, is one of the courses we had both of our kids do in high school was uh, Dave Ramsey's financial uh, financial education high school course which, you know, both my kids understand, you know, the good and bad about debt. They understand, you know, assets versus liabilities, you know, so they understand and and they have no desire to have a student loan, um, you know, to buy a car with, you know, a $60,000 car with, you know, little to no down, you know, because they don't want to be, you know, as I say, a slave to the lender. I wholeheartedly get that and appreciate that as well, because like, and you're such at a perfect stage because you truly get to see the fruits of your labor. Like you get to witness like them have a thought and be like, I planted that seed 10 years ago. And like, I get it occasionally with my oldest daughter where she'll get something that will click. And it just like, boom, like it, it's, it's a great feeling when you feel like that those investment. And this is something that I just had this idea actually this morning when I was getting in the car I often believe parenting isn't it about a right or wrong or an absolute, but I always teach to the, I almost parent to the curve that if I continue to parent to the curve of learning, that learning isn't a on and off switch. So I parent the same way. And then it's a repetitive nature, talking about it, reinforcing it, picking my battles, not choosing to like be right or wrong in every single moment, because that's not where they're going to learn. But parenting to the curve of helping them understand and grow as they curve up in their learning, like my parenting continues to adapt to that. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like myself, like there's, we, we force our kids to buy, if they want something big ticket item, we force them to buy it. Or, you know, we give them allowance and we start telling them like, Hey, we're not buying you certain things anymore. So if you want that, you're going to buy it. And it's amazing what happens when you empower a child to make their own decisions with their own money. You'll either see one of two things, either they're a free spender and they don't, they don't have a dime. They're going to have a hard lesson if you want to... <laughs> a few years at some point. Well, you know, a perfect example is my son bought an Apple watch. He had to have an Apple watch. He wanted an Apple watch. It was like he, Apple he advertising. Was, he was and yep. And so we told him, was like, great. You want one. I'm not buying you a $300 watch when you're 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, you want it, save up for it, buy it. And guess what? He did. He went and bought it. We tried to warn him about getting it. We tried to, you know, talk him out of it. Um, but we said, ultimately, it's your decision. It's your money. He bought it. Three, six months later, he had, um, you know, buyer's remorse. And he ended up selling it. Um, and then I told him, I was like, you know what? I'll just buy it from you. This is what I'll give you. And he goes, oh, no, no. It's a $250 watch. I want $200 for it. I was like, um, okay, son go on Facebook marketplace, see what the exact same watch is selling for or eBay. And you'll see that electronics don't hold their value. 
So you can either take it from me or whatever. And so we've used that lesson learned for him for when he's wanted to do other big ticket items. We tell him, it's like, look, it's your, your money, but just remember what happened last time. You know, so, you know, figure out what you want to do. And, and it's amazing that when you enable children and I'm, and I'm not saying, um, you know, not get them their needs, all their needs are taken care of, but it's their wants. Hey, they want the brand new thousand dollar Samsung or iPhone. <laughs> Great. I'm not buying it for you every, every six months or a year. Yeah. You know, and it's that I'm personal buy, responsibility buy- that helps them grow up. And the part that most parents, and I had it long for a while as well, that we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. And so all of our interactions should be preparing for them for those adult exchanges when you're not there because you're not going to be there for everything. And it's when kids were banned back to the basement, because when they did have to go on adult on their own, they didn't have enough early experiences to fall back on. And they just trip up on their own legs and have to be like, I, this is this adulting thing. Isn't what I signed up for in life. So I'm going to go back and try to go back to where I used to felt safe, which is your basement. Yep. And, and you'd be amazed, you know, when you empower people to make their own decisions with their own money, um, they'll, they'll make the right decisions. They will take care of the property better. Uh, I had a friend who I swear their son every three months was breaking a phone, either shattering the screen or breaking the phone. And they were constantly replacing the phone. Uh, I've seen that the fact that I told my son, Hey, you could buy the phone. You might want to buy the insurance plan too, while you're at it. Um, We've had one cracked screen between two kids in the last five years. Um, you know, and, and we made uh, we made them pay for the repair. Something that could be interesting within go- that I've heard it done uh, in a couple other areas where they try to turn their like family into a business is they make their kids sign a contract when they get their first phone to, to teach them like you're going to commit to something and you're going to sign contracts when you're 18 and you're going to be committing to something that's legally binding. And this is your practice area where if you want this phone, this is the obligation you have to commit to and it has consequences if you break it. And so it's another kind of good um, integrity test with their word, which is kind of like the hardest adulting lesson to work that or figure out is keeping your word to yourself is one of the most important things to keep. And it can start as simple as signing your name to something and your name meaning something and what you said needs to happen. Nope. And it, it's, it's amazing what they'll do with that. Well, David, this episode, I know I love we, how we went into homeschooling because we've never really went in there very much. And so I loved how we went in there because it did open up a lot of different conversations. And I know Amanda Huffman, who is listening to this, who is the reason it connected us where you were just on her podcast. She's going to love it because she just got wrapped up with homeschooling with her two kids during Corona that she's going to love all the different future casting because her kids are really young. So maybe I'm not sure exactly whether she's staying homeschooling or whether they're going to go back to the school system, but uh, I'm sure she will definitely love our conversation here. So David, one last question for you. What is a parting piece of advice that you want to make sure every dad learns from your experience in the military and your ability to be called dad up until this point? So I will say is kind of what we talked about earlier is don't put work before family. Um, don't, don't put, don't sacrifice all your time away from your family because you want to be the number one person, get the number one promotion. Um, all of those will come in time, find that life balance between work and in your family, because you'll never get that time back. Wholeheartedly agree, David. 
Well, David, again, thank you very much for your time today. I loved everything about your story. And I know that your story is going to help a lot of dads out there, especially in that transition and just kind of having this visibility on what is possible. Because I think that's what you really gave a, a, a dad listening to this is wide visibility that when you have a strong marriage, a strong family, that trust that you have the capacity to do amazing things with your kids, like that view of what you shared with us is really powerful. So I know that's going to help a lot of families, mom and dads out there listening to this podcast, really just kind of reframe what's possible with their family. Awesome. I appreciate you bringing me on, Ben. I really hope it helps somebody. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope that episode was really rich in experience of a man who served his country for 20 years, made a few mistakes, was able to share and learn from the mistakes, and how he's applied them in his life today. That episode with David really painted a picture of how there's not just this standard way of doing 20 even. Many people get out before 20 because they can't figure out how to break through and do it differently. And David was an excellent example from the homeschool, all the different things that he's applied, and the success that he's found on the other side. For me, the big takeaway from David's episode is when you apply the fundamentals, they do work. Find the transition books out there. Find the people ahead of you that already understand what a successful transition looks like. There are people that have already learned the hard lessons, already know where to avoid. It's just a matter of reaching out and finding them. So that is my advice. Keep reaching out to the people ahead of you when it comes to transition and David was a textbook story what they can look like when you apply. I will talk to you guys again on Friday.